Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> we do exalt your name, O Lord. There is no other name above yours. Your, as you have said, I am God. There is none besides me, a righteous God, a Savior. Look into me all the ends of the earth and be saved, for I am God and there is no other. And we praise you that you chose us before the foundation of the world, drew us by your spirit to Jesus, that we may believe on him and be with you forever. And so you are greatly to be exalted. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. We are in John chapter 17, and this afternoon we're going to look at verses 21 through 26. Jesus is in the middle of, well, he's in this public prayer before his disciples. He prayed this in the presence of the disciples. He says in verse 20, I do not ask in behalf of these alone, meaning his disciples, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they may also be in us, that the world may believe that thou didst send me. And the glory which thou hast given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them, thou in me, that they may be perfected in unity, that the world may know that thou didst send me and did love me, even as thou didst love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am in order that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. For thou didst love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known thee, yet I have known thee, and I have known that thou didst send me. And I have made thy name known to them and will make it known that the love whereas thou didst love me may be in them and I in them. You know, this, this prayer of Jesus before his disciples, he's already asked the Father to glorify himself with the glory that he had with him before the world was. Jesus affirmed to his disciples, he said, I've manifested to the disciples, Father, your word of those whom you have given to me. And right there we see the great doctrine of election, predestination. There are certain people the Father has given to Jesus. Jesus prays for the disciples and he says to those who are going to believe through their word, the disciples are going to go out, they're going to preach the word and they're going to be converts. He said, I'm not praying for the world, but I am praying for those, Father, whom you've given to me. As we saw that Jesus said uh, that he had guarded all his disciples, not one of them was lost except for the son of perdition, referring to Judas Iscariot. Jesus has, has, has been telling them, I'm going to the Father, and... In going to the Father, I want my joy to be made full in them. And we looked at that several weeks ago. 
What does it mean to have Jesus' joy made full? Well, it says in Hebrews that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So all the suffering that Jesus did, he knew if he was faithful to the task that the Father had given him, the Father would exalt him. As Philippians 2 says, he became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. And now God has highly exalted him, given him a name above every name that every knee should bow at the, at the, at the name of Jesus Christ. So when we think about that inheritance that he has laid up for us, that was his glorification was his joy that got him through and willing to go through the sufferings. Likewise, you and I, as we go through our veil of tears in this world, as long as we keep our eyes focused on that which we will inherit one day, that's why 1 John 3 says, as long as we look at that, then we will have our hearts purified. So Jesus... <clears throat> Again, indicates to his disciples, he says, you're not of the world. I wasn't of the world. You're not of the world. The world lies in the power of the evil one, that world system of thought in complete rebellion against God. You are not of that mindset at all. You are completely different. Now, the reason Jesus says, Father, I don't want you to take them out of the world. Well, why? because Jesus has a task for them to do, that's why. But he says, I do ask you this, Father, that you protect them from the evil one. We have a great adversary. We looked at that a week or so ago. A great adversary who's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The devil cannot destroy our soul. We have been forever delivered, but he can cause us trouble. He can place temptation before us. He does know our weaknesses. That's why Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prays. He says, he says, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Pray that you enter not into temptation. And that's why we're exhorted, the Apostle Paul exhorts us to put on the whole armor of God. Because he says, in reality, you're not dealing with flesh and blood. You're dealing with principalities and powers. You've got an adversary, the evil one, who has nothing but desire to do as much harm to you as, as possible, even though he can't get your soul. As Paul said to the Thessalonians, I wanted to come to you sooner, but fate, uh, Satan thwarted me. Now, he never says how Satan did that, but he did say Satan thwarted him. So Satan can do a lot of problems for us. So Jesus says, Father, guard them. I'm sending him out to a world that, what, that hates me. It will hate them. At least protect them from the evil one. So that's why he prays not for us to be taken out of the world. He wants us. He says, Father, sanctify them in thy word, thy, uh, thy truth. Sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. He wants him to be sanctified in the word of God. It's the word of God that is biblical truth. And he says, I want you to sanctify them, Father, in this truth, because the Holy Spirit whom I am sending them, 
he, they, he will guide you into all truth. And he will make known to you everything that I've ever told you. And as you go through the book of Acts, you will see amazingly how the disciples began to put the Old and New Testament together. Well, who's informing them of that? Well, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's teaching them. The Holy Spirit's giving them power that heretofore they had never experienced. They were cowards before, right? You can't stop them now. They would be arrested, taken before, beaten by the Sanhedrin, sent back out in the street, says, don't you talk about Jesus no more. Where are they? Back out on the street corner talking about Jesus. You couldn't shut them up. Why? Because they got the Holy Spirit with them now in a power heretofore they never had before the Pentecost. But after Pentecost, everything changed. Now, <clears throat> what matters when Jesus says, Lord, sanctify them in thy truth, thy word is truth. What matters is God's word. What matters is biblical doctrine does matter because biblical doctrine is the only truth, right? It is God's word. And in verse 20, Jesus is asking those, saying, Lord, uh, those who are going to believe in me through their word. Now, the specific request, take a look at verse 21, of the specific request that Jesus is asking of the Father. I want you to, well, verse 20 Sanctify them, those who are going to believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they may also be in us. Why? That the world may believe thou didst send me. Now, Jesus... He's asking the Father that he wants his church down through the centuries to be one, just like he and his Father are one. And what he is praying for in this is praying for the unity of the church down through the centuries is what he's praying for, asking the Father to do. And so when he's praying that his church would be one just as he is one with the Father, now we got to understand this. There is, <clears throat> there is a relationship that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have that cannot be duplicated because they're the triune God. So theologically speaking, the, the, uh, the word ontology is the word of the state of being. We will never be one as God. We're not like the Mormons who believe that as, as the saying goes in Mormonism is, as God wants, was, man shall become. No, that's, we'll never become one in essence. So what is Jesus talking about? One in purpose. He's already talked about that, Jesus, in John chapter 10, that, <clears throat> that we would be one in purpose uh, with the Father. Now, remember, Jesus has a task for his disciples, his task is to go out and make disciples of all the nations. Now, he hasn't given the Great Commission yet, but it's, it's going to happen. And he says, I'm sending them out into this world. That's why I don't want you to take them out of the world. They got to reach the world. 
And here's the amazing thing. He wants his disciples to be one in heart. He wants them to be one in, in their mouth. He wants them to speak the same truth. He wants them to be holding to the same biblical doctrine set forth as he revealed to his apostles and to his prophets. He wants them to be sanctified in his word, which is truth. Now, why do they need to be one? Because they got to reach the world. And you're not going to reach the world with a mixed message. You're not going to reach the world with a multiple Savior. In other words, <clears throat> a mixed message to the world will do them no good. And affirming religious diversity will do nobody, will not do the world any good. But you see that but you see that's where the world is, right? It wants to affirm what the Masons have always said, the brotherhood of, uh, the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. All the religions are basically teaching the same thing. We're all brothers, even though we may be Christian, Muslim, Hindu, whatever. We're all worshiping the same God. Well, no, we're not worshiping the same God. And Jesus says, I've got a task for you and you need to be one, one in the truth. Now, I was reminded of this religious diversity. Did any of you besides my wife and I watch the coronation of Charles III Saturday? Oh, you sort of did, sort of. We did it. I said, I'm not a fan of Charles, but, you know, for the historical, it hasn't happened in 70 years. And the pomp and ceremony of a coronation of, of a king or a queen is something to behold. It really is. And during that, it is amazing, the Archbishop of Canterbury comes up and he says, you're making a covenant with the people as your, their king, and you have come, and they had Charles read from the scripture that, referring to Jesus, I've come not to be served, but to serve. So as a head of state, he's to serve the British people. And they had the old documents that go back centuries. And here's what was interesting. They had him say, because the king or the head of state is the head of the church in the Church of England. So Charles is the head of the church. And, and they have him verbally say, the Archbishop of Canterbury says, I will be a defender of the Protestant faith. And he's quoting off of something that's centuries old. And I thought that was interesting. Have him saying, I will be a defender of the Protestant faith. Now, what, here's where it really starts to break down. We live in a woke world, right? And we live in a world of diversity. And it was somewhat amusing but discouraging to see the media say, well, what he means by that, uh, Charles is inheriting a kingdom that is very diverse. We got Hindus, just look at who's singing in the ceremonies, and we got Muslims and all this. And what he meant, what he meant by, I will be a defender of the Protestant faith, I'll be a defender of all religious creeds. Well, that's not what they intended centuries ago. And so what they did, they take that, restructure it, and made it a big point that we now live in a diverse world. 
Well, when Jesus sent his disciples out, he didn't send them out with the idea that well, you can believe whatever kind of Savior you want to believe. No. I want you to be one. Why? So that the world may believe thou, Father, sent me. I'm the only Savior of sinners. As Jesus already said in John 14, verse 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And in John 10, Jesus says, He that enters, he who does not enter by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, is both a thief and a robber. I am the door. He who enters by me shall be saved. Religious pluralism is not true. There's only one true God and there's only one Savior of sinners and that's Jesus. So Father, I want them to be one in this doctrine so that when they go out and even be persecuted because they're not of the world, at least they will know the truth and they will preach the truth that I'm the only Savior of sinners and I want you to protect them from the evil one. So this prayer of Jesus is that there will be one in biblical doctrine as set forth in the only gospel that saves sinners. You know, when we talk on the oneness of Jesus' church, it is a yearning for peace, but we should never, ever seek peace at the expense of truth. They're not mutually exclusive. We can have peace, but you're not going to have real peace without the truth. And so, in proclaiming the truth, the word of God, he wants them to be one, but one in the doctrine as set forth in the scriptures. You know, this oneness that we're to have, we're we're, we're brought together into a body. And this body is said to be the body of Christ. He is the head. We're the body. He is the head of the church. And we are brought in, incorporated, and adopted into the family of God. Which is, by the way, we refer to each other as what? Brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Because we are in a spiritual family. I remember when when the Lord converted me, I have two older brothers. I know one of them is a is a is a godly Christian uh, and others, but I remember I was a lot closer to my brothers and sisters in our college ministry than than I was to my own blood brothers, only because there's a special thing that Christians have with one another. We have something special or should have something special because we have one head, Jesus. And we are his church. We are his family. You know, these believers are incorporated into this family of God. And this one body that we are brought into uh, is, is universal. It reaches out to others. You know, years ago, there's a reason why we don't have, like many churches, the United States flag in our sanctuary. Deliberately, why we don't. Because the church 
is not a national church per se. It is a universal church. It is, it incorporates people as Revelation 5, 9 says, the elect of God are from every kindred, every tongue, every people and nations on the face of the earth. And so it is universal. And we have brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world who speaks who speak tongues that we don't understand but we all are the same family the family of Jesus in the Lord so Jesus's prayer is that his church might be animated by one spirit that's why 1 Corinthians 6:17 refers to our joining to the Lord by one spirit it is the holy spirit that unites us and the re- it's the Holy Spirit that creates the unity, a real genuine unity within the body of Christ. And it is for this reason, it is the Holy Spirit, after all, that regenerates deadened hearts, right? As we saw in the opening chapter of John, John 1, 12 and 13, it speaks of those who have Uh, believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when they believe in Jesus, they are adopted into the family of God who were born of God. So when we are born of God, meaning when we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit, then we are given the capacity, we are set free, our wills are set free to accept the gospel that's freely offered to us in Jesus. And he draws us to himself. The Holy Spirit draws us to Jesus. So we are a family. We are God's family. And you and I, as God's family, we are to champion one cause. And we are to champion Jesus' cause in the earth. And that's why he wants us to be one. So in Jesus' prayer that his church be one with the Father as he is with the Father... What was Jesus' purpose coming? To do the will of the Father, which was what? To save sinners. And he did save sinners. That's why Jesus is saying, Father, I accomplished the task you gave me. Therefore, glorify me. I did what you wanted me to do. I saved all those whom you gave me, meaning the elect. And and so what we see, we're, we're told here that Jesus wants uh, this this unity, because you see in this unity, it has a significant impact on the world. Now remember what Jesus said. He says it twice in this prayer. That they may be one, that the world may know that you sent me. He says it in verse 11. He says it again here in verse 22. He wants us to be one so that this world that we're seeking to reach, they may come to understand that Jesus really is the Savior of sinners. You know, one of the, <clears throat> one of the tragic things, and, and this has always bothered me as a minister of the gospel. <clears throat> I've been a minister of the gospel now for over 40 years. When I see churches split for whatever reasons, it really discourages me. It really bothers me. And how do you think the world looks 
upon us when we have this kind of infighting in the, the visible church. What do you think they think of us? Say, bunch of hypocrites. I told you they're a bunch of hypocrites. It doesn't advance the Lord's cause at all. It really doesn't. And so <clears throat> it's not that <clears throat> we need to have some one visible church and we're all of the same denomination. That's an interesting uh, discussion for another day. But there needs to be a, a oneness of mind, of purpose. And that's what Jesus wanted his church to have. And that's what he was praying to the Father for. <clears throat> when we are one, and that, that oneness is manifested in many ways, not only in this oneness of what we are preaching, what we're teaching, but also in how we're living with one another will have a significant impact upon the world as we're going to see here in a moment. Now, Jesus, in verse 22, he says, he wants the glory that he has with the Father to be in them. Now, we already saw that <clears throat> Jesus has said that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, and that joy is to be full in us as well. He says, I want them to have a sense of that glory. You know, when Christ, Christ living in us by the Holy Spirit, we are becoming partakers of the divine nature, as Peter talks about. We're not one in being with the Father, but we are manifesting the traits, those as, you know, our confession of faith says, those communicable attributes of God, wisdom, holiness, truth, all of that, that we can, we are to be partakers of the divine nature in that sense. You know, the church being united by means of the word and by means of the Holy Spirit, it does exert a powerful impact upon the world. And this is how, when we are one, then the world realizes these Christians are different. You know, the, the very term Christian came about at the church of Antioch. And it was, well, it was a derogatory term initially. It says, we're going to call these believers in the Nazarene Christians because they look like this Christ. Well, that's what we sure would want. And the world, when we are exhibiting the oneness that Jesus was praying for, then the world can come to know, oh, that's why they're different than everybody else, because they all confess this Jesus. And it's this Jesus that makes them different. You know, we always got to keep... <clears throat> this dictum always before us that our unity in the faith and our practice of unity among one another is a drawing card, we could say, to a world shrouded in darkness. We are truly, that's why Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and what? 
glorify your Father who's in heaven. Oh, that, I, yeah, I guess what these Christians are believing is the reason why they, they love one another the way they do. They're different people. They don't act like others. Sometimes they do, but most of the time they don't. They're different people. You know, when God <clears throat> transforms us, and he does transform us, that's why 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We are different. We were dead in our sins, living according to the desires of the flesh, Paul says, living under the control of that spirit, uh, that uh, walking in the course of the world of that spirit that works in the sons of disobedience. We're no longer like that. We no longer have the same desires. We have been changed. We have been transformed. And so we see that when God transforms us, we are different. That's why Jesus said in John 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You can't do a thing apart from me. And then in John 15, 8, he says, he's, he's saying that by abiding in him, you will thereby prove to be my disciples. Prove, demonstrate, you really belong to me. See, our actions give ourselves away. How we talk gives ourselves away. Jesus said, he says, the mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. You want to know what a person's like? Just listen to them talk for a while, and then you get a glimpse into their soul. That's why Jesus says, the good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. The evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things. The person who is genuinely converted is a different person. And if we love one another, then we are resembling the unity that the Father has with the Son. I think one of the, the most vivid ways, stories, that I, st I still think portrays this is the true story of Jacob DeShazer. Jacob DeShazer, the Japanese have just bombed Pearl Harbor. And DeShazer was on the West Coast, and when he heard that the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, he was infuriated. He hated the Japanese with a passion and kept saying, I, I want to get at them. I want, I, I want to go and fight the Japanese. I want payback for what they did to us. Well, he gets his opportunity because, well, if you know history, and of course, if you watch the movie Pearl Harbor, <laughs> the Hollywood version, which has a lot of stuff mixed in there, you talk about the Jimmy Doolittle raid. One of the reasons why Roosevelt decided that the Japanese, they, they crippled, they didn't obliterate the American Navy, but it did serious harm. And he said, I don't know how we're going to stop the Japanese. And Roosevelt said, there's one way we need to communicate to them that they are vulnerable. So let's have a raid against Tokyo. And if you know your history, if you watch the movie, they get an aircraft carrier so far away and then they're gonna send these bombers out to bomb Tokyo. 
but they only have enough fuel for one way. <laughs> so it's essentially almost a suicide mission. So the Shazer is part of the Jimmy Doolittle raid over Japan. They dropped their bombs. They proved to Japan, look, you're not invulnerable. We can reach you. But they ran out of fuel and they had to parachute out over Japanese-occupied China. And within several days, the Shazer and the rest of his crew, they were kidnapped. I mean, they were uh, obtained and put in prison, and they sent him to Tokyo to be in prison. And the Shazer was in prison for nearly three and a half years. 34 of the 36 months, he was in solitary confinement. Imagine three years in solitary confinement. During that time, he convinced a Japanese guard, who, oh, by the way, they used to beat him regularly. They, they went out and with the firing squad executed several of the guys that they, they captured. Uh, several died of starvation in the prison. Um, he was given life imprisonment for whatever reason. He convinced a guard to get him a Bible. And he only had that Bible in solitary confinement for three, for three weeks. But during that three, three weeks, God converted to Shazer in that Japanese prison. So, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story, when the war ends, he's a freed POW. He goes and studies in seminary, and he wants to be a missionary. Guess where? Japan. So he becomes a missionary to Japan. The story even gets greater. During his time, he wrote a tract called My Time in a Japanese Prison, and it became well-known around the world. In 1950, Mitsuo Fuchida got hold of his tract and was converted to Christ. Fuchida was the lead pilot on the attack at Pearl Harbor. The Shazer, I want to get to the Japanese. Oh, he gets him, but then spends prison time, gets converted. And then the lead Japanese pilot, reading one of his gospel tracts, gets converted. And guess what two men do for a time in Japan? They preached the gospel together to the Japanese people. Now, how would you account for that? Well, you account for that, that this, this man who hated a people no longer hated them and wanted to reach them with the gospel. And then, and then a guy who was the instrument of that hatred that he had is a brother in Christ, and together they preached the only gospel that saves sinners. You see, this oneness that we have in Jesus does make a difference. So the world could be, the world could look out there and say, what would account for a man who hated somebody with a passion, he would do anything to get at him, and then end up on a mission field with that guy that he would hate so much? 
The only explanation is Jesus, because they both claim to be, know this Jesus. Well, maybe this Jesus is really who they say he is. That's why Jesus says, Father, I want them to be one as you and I are so that the world may know thou didst send me. That's how important this unity is that we're to have with one another in the truth. Now, another aspect of Jesus' prayer was that he said, I want them to be, look at what verse 24 says. I desire that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am in order that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou didst love me before the foundation of the world. I want them to behold my glory. That's why, let me just read, if you want to turn with me, I want want us to look at three passages here. 1 John 3 again. Look at verses 2 and 3. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. So what was Jesus' prayer? I want them, Father, to behold my glory. And one day you and I are going to look at him face to face with a resurrected body. Turn over to Job chapter 19. Job way back. Job is considered probably one of the oldest books in all of Scripture. Look what Job says in Job 19, verses 26 and 27. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God whom I myself shall behold and whom my eyes shall see and not another, my heart faints within me. Job had the belief that he would one day behold one to come. And then if you turn over to 1 Corinthians six fourteen. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Which is one of multiple New Testament verses that proves that we will have a resurrected physical body, a glorified body like Jesus one day. So Jesus says, Father, I want want them 
to be able to behold my glory. And we will, we will do that one day on the last day when he raises us up from the graves, from the tombs, and our souls that have been with Jesus for who knows how long will be reunited with that resurrected, glorified body to be ever with the Lord Jesus. So we're going to experience that perfect in body and soul with Jesus for all eternity. That was part of his prayer to his father. You think there's any part of Jesus' prayer that's not going to be answered? Of course not. It's always going to be answered. It will come to pass most assuredly. You see, that's our hope. You know, in verse 25, Jesus is affirming that his disciples have finally come to know that he is the Christ, that he has come into the world, and that he has come to save sinners. And the concluding part of of Jesus' prayer there in John 17, that verse 26, I have made thy name known to them and will make it known that the love wherewith thou didst love me may be in them and I in them. The book of Romans in Romans 5, 8, that special verse, verse 8. But God commends his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There was nothing in us worthy to be loved by the Father or by Jesus, nothing. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. That's why Romans 5 says, scare, I mean, sometimes uh, <clears throat> scarcely people will die for someone that's commendable, but who's going to die for somebody who's the scum of the earth? That's my paraphrase. <laughs> Jesus will, and Jesus did. We were the scum of the earth. We were running, we were under the, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were controlled by the evil one. And yet he came and endured the cross to save us. And so we see that when we look at John, John 18 next week, verse 26 ends that prayer that he had with his disciples and he's gonna cross over uh, the Kindron Creek to go to the Garden of Gethsemane to have a time of prayer and then where he's going to be arrested. But isn't it marvelous that that prayer that Jesus has made on our behalf and he wanted his disciples to hear the prayer and to believe in that prayer that the Father would hear him. See, that's why when he raised Lazarus from the dead, it says he lifted up his eyes to the heavens, his Father... And he he publicly is praying with all these people gathered around to comfort Mary and Martha in the loss of their brother Lazarus. He says, I want them to hear this prayer. And I want them to know about what I'm about to do will blow their minds. 
because I'm about to raise this man who's been dead for four days. So he's praying publicly so that they would hear that. So when when he raises Lazarus from the dead, they're going to go, And many believed, and others says, Sanhedrin says, so what? But Jesus already said that. The reason you don't believe in me is because you're not of God. And so it doesn't matter what I say or what I do will change your mind. But there are some who are going to have their minds blown when they see what I do, and they'll realize, oh, I am the Christ. I am the resurrection and the life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Jesus who prays constantly for us right now from your throne, O Father. And we thank you, Jesus, that you endured the cross for our sake, that we one day would behold your glory. And we thank you, O Holy Spirit, because you're the one who changed our hearts to see Jesus for who he is and to call upon his name. So we praise and magnify you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.